Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast, my podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show, and thank you for supporting my dad. Welcome back, Immigrant Nation. Another week, another new episode. As always, every week, I will never get tired of expressing my gratitude to you all. Thank you for your support and thank you for always being here and joining us to listen to these amazing stories of these amazing people. And as a healthy reminder, if you haven't joined the Immigrant Nation officially, I implore, implore you to go ahead and click the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast. And you can also join us by visiting our social media accounts. Our handle is at an immigrant's life. And also, if you or someone you know wants to be a guest on the podcast, reach out to our social media accounts, as I've mentioned just now, or email us at animigantslife at yahoo.com. Let's connect and let's tell your beautiful story. That's the biz. Now, let's talk about the episode. I had a great dialogue with this week's guest. We talk about books his immigration journey, and how he got into being an advocate of immigrating and fighting for immigrants' rights. I know you will enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So let's get to the point, shall we? Without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa dalawa tatlo. Today's guest is the founder of Passage Immigration Law. He's an amazing blogger, lawyer, and a great family man. Everyone, please welcome Eric Widman. Thank you so much, Aaron. I really appreciate being here. Oh, it's an honor to have you. I'm, I, to be honest, I was really excited to talk to you because I haven't had anyone come on as a, a, a lawyer. Right. Yeah, so I'm really honored to have you on, and I'm glad that you reached out. Yeah, definitely. And... As someone who immigrated myself, it was we'll get into that, I'm sure. Plus, being an immigration lawyer, I feel like there's kind of a, a unique double perspective we can explore. Excellent. Before we continue talking about the cool things, why don't you tell the immigrant nation where they can reach you or if you want to promote anything? Well, great. Yeah, they can find us at passage.law. That's our, our law firm. And I'm online with, with my name, Eric Whitman, various social channels. Hmm. Yeah, I check out your website. Your website's I love your website. It's so entertaining and also it's very educational. Well, great. Yeah, that that's good. I've uh I've started it when I lived in Hungary hmm. at the the one with my name and I've struggled a bit knowing what to put on there. Sometimes it's just some personal anecdotes, sometimes it's about business. So, I I have to I've got to get a uh, coherent strategy there. Ah, just I, I love how it is already. Like I love what you said that it's just a uh, you thought of I don't know today I'm gonna do laundry and we'll you'll talk about laundry <laughs> for a few lines you know and I love the right. simplicity of it. Right. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was kind of a, a, a journal too when when we lived outside of North America. Exactly. Just to give a background for the guests, where were you originally from? I grew up in California in Cupertino, Apple headquarters, 
And so unique upbringing, lots of animals, uh, not exactly a farm, but but a lot of horses and, and goats and things. And then I went to college and law school in California and then moved to Hungary after law school where I met my wife and we lived over there for a few years. And now we live in Portland, Oregon. Beautiful. Yeah, I did some reading about you and you said that you had a pretty ideal childhood. What do you mean by that? Yeah, in, in retrospect, I, I realized how good I had it because I, I had uh, a stable family. We we had some land that I got to run around on, three U.S. acres. Uh, we had those those animals and, and uh, I was in nature a lot. And that's mm. so crucial for mental health. Mm. And kids of my own these days who are drawn to screens, uh, <laughs> there's so much looking at phones and, and screens and it's just crucial to be outside. So that's that made me, uh, I think, have a, a healthy perspective about life, just being outside a lot. Mm. What did your parents do for a living then? My, my dad was a math major and I, I was never that great at math, but he became a software engineer and my mom was a teacher and oh. she was kind of a... a California hippie who who uh, wanted to promote she she wanted to promote world peace during the Cold War and was studying mm. Russian. Oh, definitely to, hippie. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah yeah good good parents. Mm. What type of kid were you? Were you a troublemaker? Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it could have been worse, but but I I, I was a good student, but definitely. Uh, I could see how I could have gotten in, in a lot of trouble if I got caught for some of the things that I did in junior <laughs> high. And, and, and yeah, and, and I, as I ex- learn about as a lawyer, how law enforcement targets people unfairly, hmm. uh, I, I recognize I probably got off uh, as a white guy easier than, than others. Oh, yeah, definitely. Do you have that white guilt? Well, you know, in, in uh, the high school, I, I went to a very diverse high school for Silicon Valley standards and it's majority Asian. Hmm. And my friends called me an egg because I was white on the outside, but yellow on the inside. And, uh, <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> so there, there's a joke for you. That's funny. Speaking of Asian, I saw that you went to Japan when you were yes. 14 years old. How did that work? What made you travel? And go yes. to Japan. That was a, such a formative experience for me. I applied to be an exchange student. It was just a a summer, maybe maybe two months. But I was young. It was the first, might have been the first airplane I'd been on, and it was an international flight all the way over to Japan. Hmm. And it was an amazing experience. The Japanese hmm. were so hospitable. I stayed with the host family and learned their customs. We we're sleeping on tatami mats and on on the floor and taking these ceremonial baths and the people were so kind and thoughtful hmm. that opened my eyes to wanting to study international affairs. And that's what I studied in college as a result. And then I wanted to live abroad. And so I think everybody in the world should live in another country at some point. Mm. Who pushed you to do the exchange student program? Was it mom, dad, or just you? I think it was, it was mom who told <laughs> us about it. And, and then I thought, I thought it was pretty cool. And so I, I heard about it and you had to try out. And, and so not everybody was selected for it because we were representing Cupertino. Mm. And, and now I have two boys who are junior hires. 
because I had such a great experience. They're going to Japan next week as junior right. hires oh, or, or next month, rather, a couple weeks from now. That's and amazing. They're, yeah, they're doing a similar thing. That's beautiful. Are you scared? You know, we, we considered being chaperones, but we didn't want to. My wife and I thought, because some parents are going as chaperones, mm. but they're going to learn and grow so much more. And that's what I did. They're, yeah. They're, yeah. It, there's, there's access to like cigarettes and things like that. You know, this, they, they could, they could find the the beer if they really want to. They're junior mm. hires. I mean, so I, I don't, it's well chaperoned. So I'm not mm. so concerned. Yeah. I have kids myself, but they're, my, my eldest is in high school and my youngest is in elementary, but this is how I talk to them about, you know, finding beer, smoking cigarette and whatnot. Like, I tell them that I've shown you what's right and wrong. Right. Now, that is my right and wrong. That doesn't mean that's your right and wrong. I'm teaching you this because I want you someday when you are on your own, maybe hanging out with friends or whatever, you can practice that thing that I taught you to decide what is right and wrong. So I'm pretty sure you're a great dad. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure they're going to be okay. Exactly. And kids need to develop their own set of standards and they're if you shield them from from everything they're not going to develop that muscle of decision making mm. and and values and and figure things out so we'll guide them but uh i think it's in some ways best for kids to experiment a little bit if it doesn't really hurt them yeah i mean they have they're allowed to make mistakes we make mistakes every day right and that's right. the best way to learn absolutely yeah, and to yeah to explore. I think books have been written recently about how all this helicopter parenting, where parents are following their kids everywhere and not giving them a chance to do some dangerous things. So I, I think within reason we got to go back to that. Yeah, of course. It, I think it's just the idea of oh, there's a bad guy right around the corner about to grab your baby. Right. Yeah, yeah, and that maybe it's like a shark attack that that they get publicized a lot, but. In fact, there's like two people or some small statistic in the entire world die from shark attacks each year, but but, but we kill 200 million sharks. I remember reading about that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Like, I mean, of course, if it ever happens, it's such a horrible thing to ever happen. Right. That's why I think we're focusing on the negative, even though it's like, let's say 2% chance of it's happening. Exactly. How long did you stay in Japan? It was, I believe it was six weeks or maybe two months. Okay. So yeah, it was, it was a long time ago, uh, about, yeah, about 25 years ago. Mm. But it really changed everything for me and then brought about a love for international travel, a love to explore. And, and my wife is Hungarian and, and we have dual citizen kids. So it, it, uh, they're, they're not half Japanese, but that whole experience opened my eyes to the world. Mm. So after law school, you decided to go to Hungary. Why Hungary? Why specific? Hung- like, why Hungary? Yes. So it was, I heard about this amazing program, and I, I think I was trying to defer the real world uh, a, a bit because I had some debt from law school, and I didn't want to just join a big firm and be a corporate lackey there. But I heard that about this amazing program where you could teach in a college. Mm. And because I, I had this new law degree, I could the, teach in 
Russia, Hungary, or China were the main opportunities to teach to teach business law. Mm-hmm. And so I opted for for Hungary and was glad I did. I knew a bit about it, but I'd never been there before. We had we had done a house exchange with a French family growing up. So I've been to France and that's a great program too. I'd encourage people to do that. Mm-hmm. Amazing. We we stayed in their house, they stayed in ours and wonderful cultural exchange. But but I I love going to Hungary and I was there for a year teaching. Mm. Obviously you were teaching English. And so I was able to teach in English, thankfully, and and I taught business law, US history and international trade. Uh, US about, history? Yeah, yeah, that was one of my uh classes they gave me. And and they figured as a lawyer I must know enough about it and I I enjoyed that a, a lot. Mm. But business law was the main thing that that I taught and and then on the side I might have even had a conversational English class. So they put me to to work to to use my my good English. And a lot of the students liked native american or or native english speakers for the accent and mm. and that's that's why they wanted to hire us even though we're so young mm. get the american over here <laughs> yes yes But so yeah did you go to a organization that sets up this program or do you just decided to go yes yeah so it was with a program uh, it's a non-profit I they might have gone out of business unfortunately it's called Educational Services International ESI great program that placed teachers all over the world so we we were able to go into an existing program that had the human resources the the paperwork side of this all figured out so that we could get paid by the Hungarian government so there's some kind of existing program set up I think it might be similar to the JET program for Japan or uh s- some some other programs that I'm not familiar with but I know exist where you could you could teach overseas and they streamline the the process for you. So how was that experience you being an American living in Hungary? What do they speak there by the way? And they do speak Hungarian. Okay. So how was your experience? Yeah, so I started learning Hungarian, but it's but it's so easy for English speakers these days, especially in in Europe to get around because people preferred to speak in in English with me to to practice. Mm-hmm. But out of respect, of course, anyone an English speaker, Americans are bad at this in general. We should learn as much as possible and simply trying to to speak and learn shows a lot of respect for the culture, of course. Mm-hmm. But they speak Hungarian, it's pretty tough language part of the Finno-Ugric language group it's related to Finnish mm. so uh yeah it's it's not doesn't have a latin base it's not slavic so uh but i was able to teach in english and in budapest a lot of people and that's the capital where i was at it was very cosmopolitan and easy to get around with there's just a lot of english all over the place so it was it was a, a wonderful experience because i was able to soak up Hungarian history and culture mm. and I was reading a book about Hungarian culture when m- my wife my future wife to be I ran into her uh on the campus she was not my student but we started talking that was I held the door open for her on the campus at the Budapest College of Foreign Trade and she said thank you in English 
So I asked her, how did you know to speak to me in English? And she said, well, we know who the native English speaker teachers are. <laughs> and then I was reading that Hungarian history book. So I was able to sound very impressive to her that I knew all about Hungarian history. And so that scored some points. Was she a student? Yes. So she was a student there at, at the, the Budapest College of Foreign Trade mm. and getting essentially her master's degree. So I was 20, I was only 26 at that point. I think she was 22 or 23. Mm -hmm. And, but yeah, they, these programs have to watch out. They send over 20 something year old teachers who are single. <laughs> you're you're going to meet people. Was it love at first sight? You know, it, it, so it was, and I have a journal. I was mm. keeping a journal, paper journal. I'm so, it's one of my most prized possessions. Mm. And so I've written down my first impressions of my wife. We've been married 21 years now. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. And and so she was she's very impressive, obviously, for uh, I'm I'm biased, but but yeah, <laughs> I was I was quite smitten from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And she had been an exchange student herself in the US for a mm -hmm. year. So she kind of knew what she would be getting into if she was dating a, an American guy and eventually living in the US. Mm -hmm. well, how long did you guys date before you guys decided to, you know what, you're my person? Yes, yes. So a little over two years. And so, yeah, we, we met in the fall of 1999 and got married in, in fall of 2001. Hmm. So we were, and I was living in Hungary for a lot of that time. And then we had a bit of a long distance relationship that helps me relate to my clients who are also separated from their, their loved ones internationally, whether it's a fiance or a a spouse. Mm. And it's it's pretty pretty tough. The Zoom and Google Meet helps connect people more, but being in person is what it's all about. You need that physical touch. Right. Yeah. I understand that though, because I grew up without my mom. Mm. She when I was eight, she left to work in Hong Kong and she will work for two years and then come home for a month and then just continues, but go back to Hong Kong for two years. And that lasted till I was 20. Wow. That, and she was, she was doing that sacrificing for, for you, no doubt. No doubt. Like it's, we knew it, of course, it was extremely difficult, you know, Christmas, New Year, birthday, mom's right. not there. <laughs> yeah. That, and, and so many, so many families who are outside of North America are willing to do that because they see the opportunity and, and want to provide a better life for their kids. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, sometimes people who grew up in a richer setting just don't understand that level of sacrifice. Mm, definitely. Going back to your wife, when you went back to the U S did, were you guys, did you propose by then or you were thinking of it? Yeah. Oh, that's, I love, you're such a good question asker. So she, I proposed to her on one of her visits after I'd moved to the U.S. And then, yeah, we were figuring things out because we didn't know if an international relationship would be, would be the best. Hmm. We were, we were thinking, is this going to add in additional complexity? Couldn't you find a Hungarian guy? Of course you could. I'd find an American, but we found our soulmates. We, we were inseparable and hmm. it was the right choice. And, and that's why I think people need to travel because 
your special someone is very likely in a different country. It's just a bigger pool of people. Mm. Speaking of doubting your relationship, when the doubt was settling in, how did you get rid of the doubt? It, well, everybody's different. I recognize that. So I'm, I'm fairly analytical, also, also uh, intuitive, but I remember just analyzing things too much thinking about, and part of it's bad law school training where we're trained to think of worst case scenarios <laughs> where, where I was thinking, oh, she would regret living in the U S being, being kind of stuck here. I was open to moving back there and living in Europe, but I think the doubts just came in. Would it be worth it to take on all this extra complexity and her family would miss her so much. And we have this long international flight. Uh, so a, a lot of the doubts just came from, is it, is it worth it? And that's where the dating process was, where we confirmed it absolutely is. And we, we realized we couldn't live without each other. We didn't want to. Hmm. So what stopped you from moving to Hungary instead of her moving to U.S.? What we initially, my debt from law school a top priority was to, to pay that off. It's hmm. just so expensive with the U.S. system, with education, if you don't, uh, most of the time you have to take take some kind of loan out, and I certainly did. So we wanted to get rid of that, and salaries are higher in general. So I got a job at Phillips Electronics in hmm. their legal department, and we saved a lot. We were able to, to pay that off, and then we moved back to Hungary in 2007. So, and then that's when I, I got a the equivalent of the U.S. green card. I became a permanent resident of Hungary for about two years. Hmm. And so we, I was so glad to do that. And then we were hoping to have kids. The big question at that point was, where are we going to raise our kids? Hmm. And it was easier for me. Uh, and, and yeah, this happens a lot. Part of it's the, the man's job, perhaps the, 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 the woman or the partner gets stuck with following the, the guy, uh, but my English and, and her English in the U.S. is way better than my Hungarian. <laughs> and the the opportunities in, in the U.S. were greater. So we ultimately opted to, to be here. Mm. And I know the process of bringing her to the U.S. is almost insurmountable. How did that affect your relationship and how did it affect you personally? Well, that, yeah, I was figuring out what type of law I wanted to practice long-term. So I handled her immigration paperwork. I had some immigration law experience from law school and, and my, my corporate job. So I handled her paperwork and we did the green card application, the adjustment of status. We looked into a fiance visa and I realized, wow, this is complex for a lawyer. Hmm. This is a pain point we can help other immigrants with. And I also just love looking at passports. I love looking at international documents, kind of gets me excited to the stamps and passports. All <laughs> those are like this an adventure, you know, every time mm. you get on a flight, it's a big, big adventure. Mm. So yeah, I that helped steer me towards immigration law. Mm. I said it earlier, let's move, change the topic a little bit, because I really want to talk about your blog. I love your blog. And one sure. of the one of the pieces that you wrote was that entitled was shall we give spare change to homeless 
And I love that topic because I, I too struggle with that. Like, should I give this guy money or right. should I tell him to go get a job? You know, that's, that's right. I, I might've written that from Hungary. I forget where I was when I wrote that, but it's become an even bigger issue here in Portland, Oregon, where homelessness is so widespread. And I talk about this with our kids too, where compassion is needed, but some tough love is needed too. And it is, it is really difficult to find that balance. Yeah. Um, so it's challenging. The question is, do you give? So I have given change to the homeless in the past. I prefer to give them food or, mm. or water. For the most part, though, these days, uh, it, it's, it's not good. But I'm just walking right on by without, without giving anything. And there's so many homeless people and in front of our office, we often have tents and it's, it's a bit frustrating that my kids are in boy Scouts. And sometimes my, my dark humor is that, Hey, let's all do camping in the woods. Not, <laughs> not here in the streets. That's funny. I yeah. know it's hard. Like, okay. I'll share a story to you. I was new here in Montreal. I mean, fresh off the boat, right? And I found a job. I was working in this fast food company. It's not great, but it's a job. And coming from the Philippines, I was, I was raised poor. It was amazing. And I went downtown Montreal, and I saw this homeless person got a ticket from a policeman. And the homeless guy said, how, you know, calling him names and whatever. And he says, how can I, how can I pay this? I don't have a job. And the police says, well, get a job, you know? And the guy says, I don't speak French. I don't know if you know, but in Quebec, we speak French and English, but right. mostly French. Right. And in my head, I said, I barely speak English. I, I barely speak French. I have a job. Go get a job. Right. You know, so I'm always in the middle of like coming, you know, coming from this country, no job, no nothing. And then I see this People, obviously, some of them has mental issues and whatever else, but I know it's hard for me. Oh, absolutely. And and it's a common scenario where, where immigrants to the U.S. in particular are often the strongest in favor of tough border restrictions or cutting be benefits because they've personally known how hard they've worked. And then when they think or, or they say, I came in the so-called legal way. Why, why should someone who came across the, the border unlawfully get kind of a free pass or, or amnesty? So that, that sen sentiment's understandable, and it's, it's a tough topic. Yeah, it is a tough topic. And I, I like what you said there, that most immigrants that came legally usually become very tough on people that ask for asylum or, like, again, here in Quebec, we're at the border of U.S., there's no border, by the way. There's no. It's just right. a land. But right. the, on the other side, there are the RCMPs, which are the police, well, Canadian police. Once you cross, they'll say, hey, by the way, you're in Canada. We will arrest you. And then the people that try to cross it will say, oh, I'm looking for asylum. So a lot of people from Im the immigrant, the immigrants like me came legally. You know, some of them get mad and say, hey, we paid this amount of money and hardship. He just going to cross just like that? Yeah, yeah, and and something that that everyone should keep in mind, though, under and as an immigration lawyer, 
international law protects people seeking asylum and that is lawful it's it's legal to seek asylum and flee persecution that's that's really important and we need to protect that and and i think americans as we we could experience some kind of disaster like that like a biological or chemical weapon going off and we have to flee across the border and seek seek some kind of relief that's a possibility so we we should keep that in mind too we're we're very confident and and cocky sometimes about we have everything we need but we also we also need to think about our our neighbors too mm. you know in europe there's free border right like you can pretty much go to different countries without visa do you think that's a possibility that could happen here in at least canada us and mexico Yeah, yeah, like you excuse me the Schengen area in in Europe they have that and these these treaties are are available and we have the treat the NAFTA treaty which can be controversial for more conservative folks the, on that side of the spectrum where they don't like the the TN visa that's a possibility for Canadians and Mexicans to come into the US but Many people point out we should expand that type of free trade environment. And NAFTA was certainly that was the the goal to to make free trade and the free movement of people and and goods more possible, but but then Mr. Trump and others have wanted to either get rid of it or lock it down uh in in pursuit of nationalism. Mm, speaking of Trump How did he affected your business, your law firm? He he scared a lot of people and he was pretty effective with implementing anti-immigrant policies. And it was it was sad because a lot of his platform, a lot of the reasons he got elected was on on demonizing immigrants for things that they shouldn't be held responsible for. And and it was it was really disgusting many times. At the at the same time, as my wife pointed out from Hungary, that the the Trump supporters they often have some legitimate concerns that we need to understand. That we we need to understand why they're so fearful and the economic uncertainty that's that exists in their their life. But my immigrant clients were definitely impacted by the travel ban that he implemented, and that was terrible to discriminate against nationality race religion uh, there there's that muslim ban and i was proud as an attorney that some i think it was washington state they stood up against the most powerful man in the world and argued in court that this this ban is unconstitutional and and they won so the, the constitution and and the rule of law ultimately prevailed Beautiful. Why do you think anti-immigration sentiment is so rampant in the U.S. or in the media, at least? I think the the best explanation for it is that people who don't know why the world is changing so rapidly technologically, why their jobs are going away, of uh, that that for decades their manufacturing jobs were were pretty stable, and so with all this radical change. If someone says immigrants are taking your jobs, 
they're responsible for this, then that a lot of people can believe that. And the, it, yeah, it's demonizing, it's scapegoating, and it's it's really unfair because the reality is only immigration is going to save our economy and be what's the, it's going to be the bright future for us that we need. Mm. Yeah, it's an issue here too in Quebec because our premier, uh, he's, he's like the governor of Quebec and they're anti-immigration. And he's telling that if you don't speak French, you're not coming to Quebec and it's affecting us right now. There's so much companies that are looking for workers that right. are, they can't find workers because people have moved on or young people doesn't want to do the, you know, small jobs. But like I said, what you said, immigrants are the keys. They will come and take the job because no one wants to do it anyway. Oh, absolutely. There's so many restaurants. There are so many businesses here in Oregon and then also along the West Coast of the U.S. that are struggling to find workers. Mm. And they, they, the solution is immigration because the native-born folks are not stepping up to, to take these jobs. And there are a lot of tough jobs out there that that people are not willing to take, and so we need we need them to be uh, to be filled as soon as possible. Yeah, you mean the jobs that apparently being stolen from them that they didn't want to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of like you're yeah, both both ways. For example, killing cows. Uh, there that that job I understand is filled exclusively by some tough immigrants. What a horrible job shooting a bolt through a, a cow's head, uh, <laughs> and and all the agricultural workers, the mm. backbreaking labor, and mm. actually my wife did. Uh, she picked strawberries for a summer where Hungarians would go to Scotland, mm. and they, uh, I think it was under the table, it was unauthorized. She went to a farm, lived in a tent. She was a seasonal worker in Scotland picking strawberries. Mm. Yeah, like we need immigration. We need people to do to fill this job, or else the economy is going to crumble. That's right. It's it's yeah. It's clear cut, and most business leaders understand that. And I think why we, we the reason we have gridlock is the many Republicans, many conservatives are okay with the status quo because we they like illegal immigration in many ways because it creates compliant workers. It creates basically workers you can push around and not pay very much. So, not not everybody is is people are not saying uh, you're you're evil uh, if you're conservative by any means. I'm not implying that. Mm -hmm. But the there's been a lack of solutions that for immigration reform that we we need to we need to fix. What do you think would fix it? There needs to be a realistic, honest assessment assessment of what our country needs, and then recognize immigration is the the way forward for that. We need an easier way for someone with a PhD to stay in the U.S. and and get a visa, get a green card. Hmm. We we need a way for entrepreneurs to start businesses and and stay here with without all these hoops to jump through. And so many people are leaving and going to Canada instead. You guys are much better and smarter about immigration 
than, than the U.S. And with the businesses struggling to find workers, the solution is very urgent over here. Yeah, us too. We're struggling here. Well, mm-hmm. in different provinces, they're pretty much, I think they're okay. But Quebec, it's, we're struggling because we don't have, we're not getting immigrants because, yes, they'll get immigrants from countries that speak French, but it's not enough. It's, it, yeah, the, the need is massive. Elon Musk has even said that population decline is, is, a, is a huge issue that could crash the global economy. And I think Japan is, is really experiencing that. Europe is experiencing that to an even greater degree than North America. Mm, yeah, I heard that because like me, I have some young friends and they don't want to have kids. Right. And, and I tell them, like, hey, if you don't want kids, don't have kids because it's extremely challenging. Yes. You have three kids or do you have two kids? Three, three. And yeah, mm. two boys and a girl, ages 13, 11, and nine. Beautiful. I saw that you read Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Yes. Oh, man. I, I read the book too. but And I read the book like just before I had my first son. It wow. was bad. It was bad. Oh, that, yeah. It, I read it after I think I had one or two kids. It's still one of my favorite books ever. And it is so impactful. And it just, it, it's uh, amazing, amazingly moving. Uh, and it's hopeful, despite being a really bleak, dark book, the, the triumph of the will to survive and, and, and love and hope prevailed in the end. It, it's a really beautiful book. I, I said to myself, I'm never going to read that book again. <laughs> <laughs> I love the book. I completely agree with you, but I will never read that book again. I won't even tell anyone to read the book because, my God. Oh yeah, the, the the ending is is like a sledgehammer, and in in kind of a, a hopeful way, uh, hmm. but intense. Yeah, you also read East of Eden. I'm a Steinbeck fan. Oh yeah, yeah, we have so much in common. That was that was also an incredible book, one of my favorites. Hmm. Yeah, and that that about the the beauty of human freedom and choice to choose your own destiny and and yeah, I I love that. Yeah, I'm a, a big Steinbeck fan. Every time. I say that, oh, I write, but I'm not Steinbeck because he's my <laughs> dude. Going back to your wife, do you find it's a struggle to be married with a person that is not the same culture as you? I think, and I've, I've only been married once, and I hope, hope that'll remain the same, so I can't do <laughs> much com- comparing and contrasting. But, but of course, I, I think there are extra complexities that can can be a detriment or, or an asset. Depends how you, you leverage that. And I, there's the geographical complexity, but that, that could exist in big countries like Canada or the, or the US. I, I think earlier on, and we had to do some work working through cultural differences. And, and I encourage my clients to, to do the same thing, to figure out do we just have a misunderstanding here based upon what a cultural expectation is? So I think international couples should do that work. And, and uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of an ex- example where a Hungarian, well, simply smiling. This, this is an example. Americans, and I, I think Canadians probably more to the same degree, 
from the Philippines, but the Americans smile a lot more. So for a little while, I was thinking, Oz, are you upset about something when my wife wouldn't smile? <laughs> and and if you go to the airport in Europe in particular, I think Asia is similar. The, the Americans kind of have this smile on their face. They're more expressive. Even it can look kind of dumb if you're not talking to anybody. Hmm. Uh, but, but it's overall, I mean, it's just our culture. We're, we're friendly folks for the most part. But Eastern Europeans, Central Europeans have a more stoic look about them. And so I had to figure that out with my wife. Are, are you fine? And, and she was. She was happy. Is she still the same like that? She's She, like so many immigrants, is caught between cultures. Hmm. And since she's lived over here for 20 plus years, and she did naturalize. She's a dual citizen. Hmm. But she she's Hungarian fundamentally. But uh, has says the American things, has the American style expressions, and that's natural, depending where you live. Uh, but on controversial topics, she sees the U the U.S. side and the the European side. Hmm. I usually say it to myself is, my heart belongs in Canada, but my soul belongs in the Philippines. Oh, that's I love that. That that's beautiful. Yeah, it's just. Because I love both places. It's just, it's a different kind of love. Yeah. You know. And, yeah, and it's possible to to truly love and be supportive of, of two places. And that's the beauty of immigration, hmm. where you can genuinely be sold out. And if you naturalize, you become a citizen of the new country. You can be fully committed to that new country. But of course, you're going to, love and care for your home country you should mm -hmm. that's that's natural and 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 we should encourage that yeah especially if you grew up there you know yes absolutely your last name where is that from Widman yeah yeah so my grandfather Widman he was from Sweden Sven Widman so he was born in Sweden immigrated here when when he was pretty young so that that wave of northern european immigration Uh, but I think the name is actually German, hmm. and some Germans moved up to Sweden and then came to the U.S. Mm. It's funny because I had a one of my earliest, earliest guests. She went to Sweden as an exchange student for, I believe, six months. And she said that she never met anyone named Sven. Oh, funny. <laughs> yeah. It may, Maybe it's an out-of-date, unpopular name like Agnes It used to be uh, for like a grandparent name. Yeah, like Betty. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? What made you decide to start Passage Immigration Law? I started as a corporate lawyer at, at Phillips Electronics. And I, I liked working for this big Dutch company. I could have seen myself staying there for a long time. But then after six years when we wanted to move back to Europe, And it's become increasingly easy to start your own company online. So we decided to do that, feeling adventurous. We we went for it. And then so I, I just started helping people with their immigration matters, just like I helped my wife. And then that's, that's grown since then. I decided I do like being an employer. I had to develop those skills, learn how to be a, a good boss, constantly mm -hmm. learning, and... and uh, 
having attorneys work for you and, and legal assistance. So now the goal is to help people what I call live globally. Mm. That's where you can realize your full potential in the best country for you. And for many people that's moving to the U.S., longer term, we want to help people live anywhere in the world, just like I lived in, in Hungary, to help them achieve their full potential. Mm. Did you always want to be a lawyer? I think it was in junior high or high school, and I heard a lawyer speak about his job, and I was always drawn to social science more than science or math like my dad. So I, and I loved reading the news and global affairs, and I studied international law. So I've always been curious about the world, and I, I wanted to figure out how things work on a global scale. And that's, yeah, that's what led me down this path. Yeah. There was a, a former guest of mine who was a lawyer too. He was working for immigration, but apparently he said that it was emotionally taxing to practice. What kept you sane? Yes. The challenge of client work, both for law, but I think anyone working with, with clients, is there like a social worker, it's emotionally draining because they have so many challenges and problems. And one case has has a number of challenges you're dealing with. But when you get into 50 or 100 folks who want you to take their burdens on, it is crucial to have a team. That's why I'm glad I don't do this on, on my own as a, a solo <laughs> lawyer. I think that would be especially hard where, where you can talk things through and and figure out what's the best way I can help this person. How can I serve this client? But I can't. I can't control everything. Sometimes when a couple has um, relational problems, I almost want to coach them on that, <laughs> as opposed to just their legal issues. But but that's not my role. I mean, you can start another business on the side. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I've been learning about that. I I studied to be a high performance coach to. Mm. My team and I got certified in that last year. So that's something I want to do long term. What is that? Yeah. So it is it is performance coaching, business coaching, but also personal development. And so I use it with my kids, I use it with myself, I use it with my team, where you figure out where you want to grow, what your goals are, and then develop certain areas like clarity in your life, like courage and figuring what are the specific steps to get me to where I want to be. Mm. Well, easy for you to say, get courage, but what ways can you apply and get courage? Yeah. So it's all about being intentional, living an intentional life, deciding what's important to you. And then, because people often don't think it through and then write down concrete steps, mm. the power of writing it, in, in talking about it, it's, it's hugely impactful. It's, it's empowering. And I did coaching myself several years ago, and that made me want to do the same thing for others because I benefited from it so much where we think through, okay, what would a courageous person do in this instance? Hmm. And so you just start, there's a bit of vision, uh, you can meditate about it, but thinking through that and then tracking progress too, was I more courageous today? Did I get outside my comfort zone? Hmm. All of those steps are personal development. 
for yourself and also for your team. Hmm. You enjoy coaching? Yes. And and I'm I'm only doing it uh informally right now. Since I just got certified, hmm. I'm I might branch out. I'm so busy as a lawyer, but I really enjoy it. I wanted to incorporate it and just kind of do it in in a way that's natural or latent with with my employees and my three kids. So I'm I enjoy it a lot, but it's not really formal right now. Mm. Are you a better lawyer or a better employer? <laughs> I am trying to be good at both <laughs> and and the I've realized though that in order for me to be a good employer, my attorneys need to have a lot of respect for me that I know my stuff. It's kind of like a doctor who you've got to keep practicing medicine to lead other doctors. You've got to stay on top of the latest developments and be an exemplar to them and be an exemplary person and leader. Mm -hmm. I love coaching too. I used to coach basketball, uh, 13, 14 year old boys, and it changed me so much. Mm. Because when I started coaching, my mentality was it's all about winning. You win or you lose, and it's all about winning. And then I uh, make stock of myself and start reading and start um, doing research, and it completely changed me. It is, it is incredibly powerful, and it's not just a new fad, of course. There's, I went to UCLA and coached John Wooden, the basketball coach there, very famous, the most successful college coach of all time, one of his books is called The Success Pyramid, Pyramid of Success. And that was really helpful to establish habits amongst yourself and, and the people you're coaching. What do you draw upon when things are tough? And, mm. and he talks about enthusiasm and perseverance and hard work. And you can, we all can each grow in those ways. Mm. But coaching, yeah, coaching brings out the best in us. Yeah, speaking of Wooden, one of my favorite stories of his uh, was before they start practicing, he will force his, no, he will tell his players to tie their shoes for an hour. Interesting. I have not heard that. Like he would, to in order to just tie it in the best possible way? They will tie it and then they will untie it and then tie it again un nonstop for an hour. Because he said, if you cannot fall in love with one thing and you cannot focus on those small thing, the details, you'll never succeed. It sounds like the Karate Kid. If you've seen that with Mr. Miyagi, of stuff. All right, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that that type of discipline that could make make a big difference. Yeah, I mean, I would not apply that way if I'm coaching, especially right. the kids right. now. You know. Yeah, we'd we'd get get in trouble, but it worked for. Coach Wooden, that's for sure. Yeah. What's the difference between immigration lawyer and an immigration consultant? In the U.S., you have to be an immigration lawyer, a, a licensed attorney, in order to, to practice immigration law. There's a couple exceptions to that. But in many parts of the world, you don't need to be a licensed attorney to help people with immigration matters. So in, mm. in Canada... In Australia, a bunch of other places, you can just be trained without having a, a law license to give immigration advice. So mm. that uh, that often works out quite well. It's a different approach in the U.S. Mm. Do you do pro bono? Yes, definitely. We always 
We we have a couple pro bono cases right now. There's a huge endless need. Uh, at at my church, we do a clinic once a month. We're we're helping refugees and asylees. There's in Portland, Oregon, Refugee Adjustment Day, where every year a lot of lawyers come together and do the paperwork for free to get refugees a green card. Mm. So there's there's one time events, and then we're working on some tough cases right now. That uh, it's it's really meaningful work when someone cannot pay, and we can we can't do a lot of these, but we do some pro bono cases that are really meaningful. Sometimes disabled kids or or folks separated from their parents. Mm. Have you ever experienced a client find out that you have a pro bono and goes to you, hey, why don't you, my case, pro bono, you know? The, so yeah, they, um, it's, it's a good, good question. We have a couple spots for pro, pro bono cases and we don't have grant money like a nonprofit does. We would love to help more people. The The reality is to get great immigration results, we have to hire good people, good staff who are paid well, who are super smart. And the yeah, there's, there's different approaches to practicing law, but we, we insist upon having the best possible staff so they get the best possible results. Of course. Speaking of that, you can save them all, obviously. But how do you find peace in that idea? And in peace in being a for-profit immigration service. So I think it is uh, a great offering. It's it. I feel very content and happy about offering this type of law. Some people can't afford it, but those who want resolution to their problem, it's typically a, a great investment. For example, to get a green card, and we often charge, for example, a lot of money because it's a lot of work, $5,000 US to get someone a green card. We work with you a year. The sooner we can get someone a work permit, the sooner their life gets better and that investment gets paid off. So that in a month or two, pretty much anybody could pay back that investment. So we we feel good. We're enabling people to earn more, to reach their full potential. And so I I've, am very proud to be a immigration lawyer and an attorney these days, especially when immigrants' rights are under assault. Hmm. I heard that if, let's say I'm Canadian, I moved to the U.S., I heard it's so hard to get a green card as a Canadian in the U.S. Is that true? It shouldn't be any more difficult for Canadians than than others. I would say overall, it's a bit easier compared if, if you're coming from the Middle East or, or African. But as a wealthier nation, sometimes Canadians are given the benefit of the doubt of, about certain things. It, it's The system in the US is definitely broken. It's getting more and more difficult for everybody to get through it. It's, it's frustrating and so many cases are delayed that we're suing the government on a regular basis now because that's one of the few things that actually works. Mm. You said you work with asylum seekers. What do you learn about yourself working with them? It's yeah, it's one of the most moving things to 
work with those fleeing persecution. And it's in, in, an incredible experience to document what they went through and feeling horrible for this person, but also feeling inspired that they persevered despite the terrible things they fled from or experienced or were, how, how badly they were treated by others. And when asylum works well in the U.S., when when they are granted asylum when they deserve it, it's it's a beautiful thing because the power of the U.S. government is protecting that person. And in some countries, this is only the power of the U.S. will keep bad guys from from hurting our clients. And that's that's why it's crucial for us. It's a good thing for us to open that door to hurting people around the world. Mm, well said. How can they prove that they're in trouble or they're in danger in from their country? It is very difficult because when you're fleeing from someone, maybe a government official who is who is trying to harm you or kill you and your your kids, it's very difficult to get out of the country and carry a bunch of documents with you. And often the persecutor is not going to document that fact. So you, and, and when you've come to the U.S., who's there to testify on your behalf? What, what type of proof is there? So it, it's challenging. And not, not every case uh, is deserving of asylum, but the ones that have been persecuted, we need to protect those individuals. We need to put the time and resources into figuring out who deserves the protection, who doesn't, and and right now, unfortunately, the, the Biden administration is starting to roll back protection for asylees and, and asylum seekers. Really? Why? They are concerned that when some of the Trump era policies will will finish up, there's under COVID, there is a way to keep immigrants from coming into the U.S. at a greater level. Biden administration wants asylum seekers to only come to a couple dedicated ports of entry rather than seeking refuge across the border at, mm. at any spot. So they're, they're trying to make it more specific. And But the, the problem is that is going to harm many legitimate asylum seekers because what if they can't go to that one designated spot? Mm. And, and that's a violation of their, their international rights. Do you work with DACA recipients? Yes, yes. They're some of the, our favorite people, and they they deserve a solution. It's stressful to live with the thought that I could be deported, mm -hmm. and through no fault of theirs. And it's not they're gonna get deported to a country that they don't even know nothing about. That's right. That's right. They many don't speak Spanish. Even some some do, and many are coming from Spanish-speaking countries. Not all, uh, but it's unfair to to those young kids to not have a chance to get standardized and get work authorization. It's it's crazy that their work authorization could get taken away again if we don't have a long-term solution. Mm-hmm. How do you find balance between your career and family time? Ah, uh, that is a difficult challenge. 
thankfully, when my kids were really young, they're 9, 11, and 13, I made a point of spending a lot of time with them. And I think that was good for their, their brain development. They need me now too, of course. Uh, and, and so I try to be there for all their sporting events. And mm. I'm often working later at night because I want to be with them from 5 to 7 or 8 p.m. But then I got to do some work after that. Mm. So, yeah, the being being there in person, I think, is crucial. Mm. How about the wife? She she works full time as well. So we we are glad that we're mostly working at home for both of us since we're knowledge workers on the, the computer. So that that's good that we cut out the commute and can see each other despite both working a lot of hours. You like working from home? I do. We we I got my my dual monitor here and and no no commute. But I get into the office about once a week to meet with clients and to, to meet with the team. Hmm. When you have a rough day at the office, something, you know, someone got denied or whatever, how do you stop yourself from bringing that work to home? Right, right. Yeah, that, I'm glad I've, the, the coaching and the, the personal development has been crucial for having the right perspective and the right tools to, to separate work stress. And I've had the journaling habit for a long time. That has been increasingly important for me to get the concerns out of my head and write it on paper. It's, it's really quite effective for me. And I just had to do it the other night at 3 AM where my, my subconscious was thinking about this stuff. I woke up, I wrote it out at, had kind of a meditation prayer and it allowed me to go back to sleep. Hmm. How long have you been journaling? Since college. Wow. And yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes more than others, but my favorite professor there was a medical ethics professor and he, he was a doctor and said, you've got to start journaling. And it was such great advice. And he, he recommended and I do it with a pen rather than I try it on my computer a little bit, hmm. but I use a remarkable tablet now hmm. that, that uh, is nice backup in case something bad happens to it. And, and so, yeah, I think writing it out by hand though is, is key. Yeah, me too. I just started journaling. I did it back in college, but I, I always stop because I feel like I have the tendency to write a story instead of just writing one line or two. Right. And that's great. Whatever whatever is on your mind is worthwhile to, to write about. I've, mm. I'm so convinced that it, everybody should do this. I'm trying to get my kids to write things down, but they're resistant. Good luck. <laughs> you know that saying that if you want your kids to be readers, make sure you read every day or show books in the house? Not true. You know, yes, that they, they should be absorbing things, but, but yeah, they, they don't, they, they, I was that way with my dad. I, he was a basketball player and I wasn't a basketball player. He was, he liked math. I didn't like math. So I think it is natural for them to go the opposite way. Yeah. Until they realize that, 
Oh, I am dad. <laughs> I guess that happens when they're in their 20s, from what I hear. Yeah, we'll get there, I guess, huh? Right, right. What does success mean to you? Success to me is about relationships with my my family. And I think that's the the heart of it is good relationships. And you look at people who live a long time and are happy. Mm-hmm. All these studies show it's not about how much money you have. It's not even your your physical health, but it's it's this community of people. And so I prioritize family. That's mm-hmm. that's a I think crucial and to invest time in them. The the other stuff can go away. Your your house, car, uh, even health. But if people are around you, I think that's what matters. Amen. Listen, Eric. I think we're there. Before we close out, do you have any last remarks or say anything to say? Well, I love your podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And I think everybody needs to live in another country at some point and encourage your family members to do that. That's where personal growth happens uh, to a huge degree. Mm -hmm. Wise words from a wise man. Again, Eric, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really, really do appreciate it. Thank you, Aaron. It's been a true pleasure. Have a good evening. All right. You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Again, Eric, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.